0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. And on today's episode, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to The Conscious Lee. Yes, you may have seen him on TikTok. You may have seen him on Instagram. You may have seen him anywhere, but he is on the show today. And we talk about critical race theory. We talk about voting rights. We talk about education, which per George Consciously Education is elevation, just a lot of great stuff that I was excited to be able to talk to him about. A little bit about consciously, having grown up in the small town of Bryan, Texas, George's personal experience with adversity still informs him to this day. Seeing the educational power of discomfort caused George to adopt a strategy which he calls purposefully provocative, whereby people are placed into unfamiliar positions and situations which fosters critical engagement with different perspectives. People are primed to return to their routines and daily scripts. So being placed in an uncomfortable or new position forces people to think of new strategies and tactics outside of their own familiar experiences. George is a self-described edutainer who seamlessly mixes education and entertainment to be purposefully provocative. At the heart of George's drive is the belief that education is elevation. Knowing and understanding other perspectives can create more informed decision-making which leads to better outcomes for both you and others. Being purposefully provocative lets George educate his audiences through engaging experiences they would never otherwise have. The linchpin of education is experience. So George offers the necessary experiences to cause a shift in both mindset and action. So that's just a little bit about him. You can definitely learn more about him by going to his website georgeleespeaks.com. But before we get into the episode, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Snuffy. Snuffy's a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. Ten percent of profit goes to LGBTQ organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at Snuffy.co. That's Snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y.co. The owner and operator of Snuffy is Nick Silvestri, who designed the Detox Podcast logos. So if you like the logo, you want to go support him, go check it out, Snuffy.co. And by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on Nostalgia Overload. With toys in action, figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. Now, if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. I hope that you enjoy what you're about to hear and that you come back for another episode. And if you're a repeat listener, welcome back. I am super excited that you have come back for another episode. Now, if you want to support the podcast, there's a couple ways you can do that. Make sure to subscribe to the show so that way you never miss an episode. Rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice and share the podcast with a friend. Word of mouth is the best way for independent podcasts like this one to grow. So without further ado, my conversation with the conscious Lee, is coming up right after this. What's going on? My name is Joe Shaw, and I host the music podcast After the Encore, After the Encore is a long-form career retrospective podcast that takes you behind the music of some of your favorite artists, musicians like John Oates of Holland Oates, Chris Kirkpatrick of NSYNC, and Jarrett Reddick of Bowling for Soup, and many others. Each season of the podcast is themed around a different topic, like the boy bands of the 90s, badass women in music, or even artists that were featured on the TV show The Voice. I am committed to taking you deep inside an artist's mind to find out why they do what they do, what does music mean to them, and how do they quantify success. We tell an overarching story which will take you not only behind the music, but into the psyche of the artists themselves. After the Encore is a proud member of the Roberts Media Group podcast family. Check us out on any of your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast with me at this time. I'm beyond excited to get into the weeds and all of the goodness with this man today. The Consciously is on the show. Lee, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing, I'm doing good. I'm doing I'm doing even better than I'm on the show, you know? <laughs> Looking forward to some juicy conversation, man.
0: Yeah, man. I'm very excited. Very excited. Now, before we dive into the meat of the conversation, so to speak, I like to ask my guests a question to really kick things off. And so, Lee, I want to know, what are you currently detoxing from in your life?
1: Man, what I'm currently detoxing from is uh, I, I say people that people that i pour into that's not able to pour back Ooh. you know what i'm saying yeah not necessarily uh like, yeah like pretty much just i feel like this detoxing and uh using my time a lot more you know
0: productive in terms of it's not adding to me some tracking type stuff you feel know I me mean? i do i you know it's The pandemic has been interesting for me because I didn't realize a couple of uh, uh, relationships that I had that were in that, that realm, and I figured out pretty quickly which relationships I was constantly pouring into that weren't filling me back up and were just a take, take, take type of relationship. Found those out pretty quickly. And I would I would like to say here in the second year of the pandemic, I've sussed out a lot more of my priorities with regards to my friendships, family relationships, all kinds of relationships. And I feel that I'm personally in a better place, so I, I completely understand.
1: It's yeah. easy, yeah. And I guess a better way to conceptualize, conceptualize what I'm saying, simplified, is detoxing from not having boundaries and transitioning into setting boundaries in many different instances and parts of my life that I didn't
0: have boundaries in, or the boundaries was too far out.
1: You feel me? So I'm bringing them closer to me.
0: I like it. Very cool. Well. On the show, there's there's a couple different topics that I'm excited to to dig into, and since you are an expert in a lot of these areas, um, I'm interested to get your perspective and and your thought process. But I want to know so there's two there's two things uh, that's top of mind for me here: being in Texas in the Dallas Fort area, and then also uh, being in Texas in 21 with. Uh, with the special session going on that keeps getting extended and extended and extended here in Texas. And one of those is just around voting rights. And then the other aspect is around critical race theory. And critical race theory is something that I know that you've spoken quite a bit about. So maybe the best way to dig into this conversation, I want to maximize the minutes here, is for you, if you could, for folks who may not be aware, and if you're not, you can go back in the archives and listen to Cinto Ramos Jr. break it down as well. But if you could give us just a a five minute overview of critical race theory for those who may have heard different things on what it is, and then digging into how we can start to apply this perspective in our lives and in our kids' lives to make a more inclusive world.
1: Yeah. Well, I think I'll start from the top and saying that critical race theory provides us a analysis of the legal system that shows us how our institutions And our policymaking process is racialized and specifically how it leads to a lot of racial disparities for people of color in our country. Um, I know that a lot of people have a very colorblind perspective when it comes to different policies and laws and feel like the way they are applied is based off of people's character and based off of their conformity into the law. Critical race theory gives us a perspective uh, in the ways in which politically, socially and economically people of color are structurally um, I feel like uh, I guess uh, structurally oppressed or structurally not given access resources and opportunities within the legal system and how a lot of different laws that are passed have a disproportionate impact you feel me on the black community and or Uh, the indigenous community and Latino community and so and and we keep on going. And the thing that I find funny about people that oppose critical race theory is a lot of the analysis that they were using for the 1994 crime bill with Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. It actually came from a critical race theory perspective in terms of thinking about how it impacted black people uniquely. You feel me? So that's, you know, I'm saying a part of the conservative contradiction in terms of thinking about how critical race theory gets folded into being about this individualized, what about the white kids? We want to teach white kids, they're oppressors and teach white kids they are colonizers. To me, that shows that there's a lack of research on what critical race theory actually is because it's not centered around an individualistic perspective in terms of saying individual people are bad. As right. a matter of fact, one of the notions of critical race theory is to talk about how um, the notion that you know there's a bad apple in the bunch or how the system or how things that happen within police brutality is just an individual act of one person. Critical race theory is trying to get into thinking about how systems and institutions specifically lead to these disparities and not how the acts of individuals. So we already see how a lot of the criticisms that, uh, I feel like a lot of the more popularized criticisms of critical race theory is stuck in a whole bunch of me-search, no research done at all, you feel me, in terms of what is really going down. I think when we talk about the Declaration of Independence in our country and how how it was developed in terms of who got to be at the table to think yeah. about the values and think about the language of the of Declaration of Independence, but also thinking about how we celebrate the narrative of the Declaration of Independence to our students today in classrooms. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. And recognizing that the Declaration of Independence then Apply to everybody, and that's what we get to the mess. I mean, uh, uh, that's what we get to thinking about the Emancipation Proclamation, and then we just suppose that with this year in twenty twenty one, or this year in yeah this year uh, yeah this year in twenty twenty one, when we seen Juneteenth become a federal holiday, right? Well, critical race theory gives us because because you got to think about it like this because Juneteenth is now made a federal holiday, you're gonna inevitably have students in the classroom ask their history teachers why is this a federal holiday right if you live in the state that has criminalized critical race theory how you answer this how you answer this question in the classroom is gonna have a lot of implications on maybe you being fined maybe you losing your job and just straight up simplified, you breaking the law right but when we think about the emancipation proclamation in terms of what it did down south specifically in texas but throughout the south in terms of how the pieces of paper in the legal system didn't mean freedom for the enslaved, you know what I'm saying uh, black people down south. It was Union soldiers coming down to Galveston, Texas, for the emancipation. I mean, uh, 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 I mean uh, for excuse my language, for the uh, uh, Juneteenth. You feel me? That's right. how we celebrate Juneteenth. I'm born and raised in Texas.
0: Yep, you know what I'm saying. Yep. And you got your Galveston but shirt on too, we folks know, can't see, so. But. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 me and my yeah. family went to Galveston, yeah, me and my family actually went to Galveston like a few weeks ago to, to celebrate, what I'm saying, to, to just do like a little family vacation. Yeah. But that city was the city, right. you know what I'm saying? I didn't think about that. This shirt that yeah. I have on literally represents the city where Galveston, where Juneteenth first started. But we know that critical race theory gives us a lens thinking about how Black people or, Five times more likely of being incarcerated. How people of Latinx community are this many more times of being asked about, you know what I'm saying, their citizenship. How, you feel me, uh, black women are this many more times likely of dying, you know what I'm saying, their immortality. You feel me? How indigenous people are this many more times of, you feel me, uh, of of, of, of dying disproportionately of, you name the disease. You know what I'm saying? So, how I see it is how in this little, I guess, little rant overview. Is that the critical race theory provides a nice critic criticism and exposes how a lot of people and I how a lot of people in American society love to chastise people in our society yep. for not getting involved in the uh, policymaking process, as well as not knowing how the policymaking policymaking process works, as well as saying things like "a hey, system racism doesn't exist," but we're going to use the system to outlaw teaching about racism as right. well as discouraging people from getting involved in the policymaking process. And we see all the voter registration laws passed throughout our country that's restricting, you feel me, the, yes. you know what I'm saying, really our ability to go out and get our voices heard, quote unquote. Right. So when you think about what critical race theory provides, it provides us a lens of political awareness and political consciousness. i thinking about how the policymaking system works. What we know in terms of 2021, it's how we're able to think about Georgia. We know that Georgia was very significant in how our election worked out in 2020, right? Yep. We know that Black people, you feel me, uniquely went out in the droves, you feel me, in like record high numbers yes. to, you know what I'm saying, a lot of polling booths in Georgia. And we've seen that from the policy, from literally the policy perspective, that a lot of those ways in which Black folks are able to get involved in policymaking Got, got got outlawed it's yeah. like literally you can't even give a bottle of water yes. to people standing in line in georgia because you're gonna break the law so we see critical race theory from my perspective gives me the language not only the language but the perspective and the tenacity to be able to launch a legal perspective I mean, a legal criticism as yeah. well as being able to back it up because yeah. my motto was education is elevation and i was introduced to critical race theory through debate, through, through being a college policy debater, you feel me, and I bust. A, I don't know if I'm able to cuss, but I'm gonna say it yeah, anyway. Yeah. I bust a lot of ass for critical race theory. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that that is one of the one of the one of the many major reasons why people in power don't want critical race theory being taught. And yeah. then in conclusion, for real, a lot of people have conflated diversity and inclusion teachings with critical race theory, and that is a no no. And we see how a lot of things that even bring about any type of racial literacy is being criminalized. And we see a conflation of diversity and inclusion, teachings and trainings being conflated
0: with critical race theory scholarship. And it's like, nah,
1: I'm doing the same thing, man. Move around. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. And I mean, for those in charge, it's it's easy to spread the misinformation, because if you can spread the misinformation, then you can keep yourself in power you know and Most definitely. and so to your point about the voting the voting law right getting passed in Georgia and this is what frustrates me so much down here in Texas is i hear you know in in family or relatives or other people that are nearby saying things like well why wouldn't we want to pass laws that that verify identity like the voter id laws like well of course this makes logical sense they use the logical Art, argument for why these laws need to be put in place, and they don't stop to think about. They've never had to go through hoops to get some of these things that are being requested, and not stopping to yeah, think about. Yeah, but that's exactly
1: what you right. You use the right words, though. You use the words hoops. Yes. Because what we know about the insidious nature of this system is, it's not going mm-hmm. to say it's because you black. Um, it's not going to say it's because you woman. Right. It's not going to say it's because you trans. It's going to be some implicit gaslighting way for we're able to exclude you from the process so we're able to use different pathologies that can be associated with your, you know what I'm saying, with your body. Right now, there's a lot of popularized memes that's going around that's showing different bars and or establishments going out of its way to outlaw different aesthetics mm. that black folks do and instead of saying we don't want black people here, we're going to say we don't want do-rags, we don't want We don't want white T-shirts. We don't want Timberland boots. We don't want work boots. We don't want jerseys. We don't want baggy pants. We don't want any. We don't want braids. We don't want dreadlocks. We don't want afros. So instead of saying we don't want black people, we're going to choose these different characteristics and attributes that are commonly associated with black people. We're going to say we don't want that. When we apply that to the law, we see, that's usually how it works. Think yep. about the Rockefeller 1776 law that made the distinction between crack cocaine and oh. salt. You feel yes. me? Like crack yes. cocaine and actual cocaine through snort. You know, that pharmaceutically, Crack and cocaine is the same It's the same drug, the same damn thing. Right. We know that crack cocaine is predominantly found in black neighborhoods, and we know that cocaine is predominantly found in more affluent neighborhoods. Crack cocaine you found with just a grandmother you can get charged with for damn near five, five years minimum to go to jail. You need 500 times the amount of cocaine to be able to get the same amount of time. That's how the law works. It's not going to say we're going to lock you up for having this because you're black. Right. It's going to be literally embedded into the law of these. Well, you know what I'm saying, I feel like most most white folks out here to the game, y'all know George Orwell, double speak.
0: Yep. Yes. Well, damn it, apply that to the law. A lot yep.
1: of the ways in which George Orwell talks about double speak is yes. the way in which our law works. We yes. say America is the country of the free. You feel me? America is the country, a country of freedom, we the country of the free. Well, double speak comes in where we have the biggest prison population in the globe. And most of those people are African American people. Yes. So when we think about the law in terms of equal protection under law, and we see all these studies done, that say that hey, black folks and white folks use drugs the same amount of times, the same, the same, the same rates. Yeah. But we still see that these people over here are disproportionately criminalized and convicted for. The same thing that the stats say that, hey, these two communities use drugs of similar race. So the critical race theory, in my opinion, gives us a lens to be able to expose the ways in which different
0: things work. Yes. And, you know, you bring up a good point about I like set my notebook down because I was like, I'm not going off the notes. We're just talking now. But I was having yeah, we was talking now. <laughs> yeah. I was having a conversation. This room. You said something about the prison population. It reminded me of a conversation I was having with a good friend of mine a couple years ago. And he was talking about he served a little bit of time in jail, did some other stuff, had had charges dismissed, whatever. But he was talking about when he had to go in and report into um, do the drug test and everything else once a month and he said he was sitting there with a the guy who just got just got released from jail maybe a month or two ago and he struck up a conversation with him and the guy was talking about how he had an ankle monitor which like like i just want to like break this down because I don't think people understand how much of a game a lot of this 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 is. But he said he had an ankle monitor that was $350 per month, $350 per month that he had to pay for this thing to be <laughs> on on him to track him every, you know every day. And then he was given a, uh, a curfew. So he couldn't leave the house before 7am. And he had to be back before 6pm uh, or 5pm every day. And he was talking about I can't get a job that fits within those hours. That's within distance where I can charge the monitor at night. So I have to take crap jobs that have bad hours, that have bad pay. Then I can't afford the $350 per month for this. And he said, it is cheaper for me to go back to jail and serve out my time than to be out here trying to build a life for myself on charges that it was like, I think it was possession of marijuana or something like minuscule and minor. And that's how the system fucks people's lives up because it's just a game and it's like, let me let us just wring every amount of money from someone until they can't pay anymore, and then we'll just toss them back in. And then it just produces its own problem. And, and people like to think that there aren't problems because they like the way things have historically been for them. And I'm specifically talking about white people such as myself that grew up in a situation that gave them the benefit of the doubt where they didn't have to think about any of this stuff and they don't like the idea of this
1: educator, As an educator and a person that does a lot of diversity and inclusion trainings as well as uh, anti-racism workshops, facilitation, I recognize that most people in this country, especially white people, but most people in this country have been conditioned to have a certain type of orientation. Has, uh, we've all been conditioned to have a certain type of orientation towards the law and towards prison systems. that say that people that go to prison are bad people. Mm And we're all conditioned to buy into different tropes to how we hyper criminalize different people in different communities. Yep. So what I recognize in terms of racial illiteracy, the inability to read and write situations of race, I recognize its conditioned in a social fabric of America Yeah, and how a lot of white people and people of color are conditioned, you feel me, to see the law in a way where we're able to justify different things. So I was having this uh, this 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 conversation with this uh, gentleman, you know what I'm saying? it happened to be a black conservative, but he was trying to talk to me and ask me about the merits of white uh, of white privilege, mm-hmm. you feel me? And though he's a conservative and I'm trying to use the things that they would talk about in terms of meeting the word, yeah, like, hey, when Donald Trump talks about the First Step Act, this is an example of him acknowledging white privilege. Right. Y'all, y- y'all acknowledge that Donald Trump said that he's passing this plan to try to do something for Black people. This is you acknowledging that Black people are disproportionately impacted on the federal level by incarceration. So white privilege is recognizing that there are people that have the privilege of not being impacted by the disproportionate impact of, you know, what I'm saying, prison population, especially on the federal level. Yeah. And then I went into the, I'm um, saying, the Platinum Plus plan. The Platinum Plus plan gets into political, social and economic ways in which black people go through racial disparities in education, in healthcare, in the economy. It's like literally this is a plan that was passed by conservatives. Yes. So when you tell me that white privilege doesn't exist, I think that you're kind of pulling my leg or you bullshitting me because you you are you are you, you are purposely trying to use cognitive dissonance in a way will were you were you were you, were you, were you weaponize it? And I just yes. think that it's, it's, it's very disingenuous. You yes. feel me? It's very disingenuous to try to say on one notion, I believe Donald Trump has done the most for black people than any president, but on another notion say that white privilege doesn't exist and systemic racism doesn't exist. It's like, why is it a thing that Donald Trump has done the most for black people in history? Because, you know, most conservatives don't try to go to say how black, how Donald Trump gave the most amount of money to HBCUs and how Donald Trump you feel me, then yep. to the most amount of people being uh, uh uh freed on this level, it's like, yeah, so why is that a black thing if you recognize that black folks ain't going through the disproportionately? And that's why I think the what I like to call conservative contradictions comes about the catch-22, like, um, a a some type of way you got to recognize double bind, yeah, either a. You lying about what Donald Trump is doing and saying, and you put more on it than what you need to be doing. Or B, you have to recognize the thing you are in denying of is what you're trying to give Donald Trump credit for, you know what I'm saying, being able to do something about. You can't right. say systemic racism doesn't exist, but Donald Trump did something about systemic racism on a federal level. <laughs> right. You can't say that systemic racism doesn't <laughs> exist, but then you acknowledge that this pattern of Plus Plan. And think about it, even the terminology of it being called a pattern of Plus Plan. I'm a black man from the hood. I grew up in 19. I, I, I was born in 19. I'm a millennial. I know what platinum mean to my community. You feel me? That's the bling yep. bling. Yep. Why in the hell would this white man call it a platinum plus plan? He's literally trying to market it and sell it to black folks. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, and to me, critical <laughs> race thing gave me the reason to be able to see everything I just said.
0: Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And it's, it's, it boggles my mind when I think about the fact that, like, so when we're talking about, like, the the double speak. So there, there are two two points that I wanted to, to circle back on. One, I wanted to give a shout out to Dr. Tiffany Woodis, who's been on the show before. She's an OBGYN, and she opened up a, uh, she called it a boutique here in, oh, it's in the Dallas area. Uh, I think, uh, I, I will double check and put it in the show notes, but she opened up. A, um, a, a OBGYN clinic catered towards black women because she felt that there wasn't a specific service for her community within this local community. And she said because of the, 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 the mortality rates statistically higher... She needed to create a space where women could come, feel comfortable, not having to present, not having to be on, could have lower stress levels, lower high blood pressure, you know, like lower blood pressure as a result of being able to be in a space where one felt safe, and that's not something that a lot of people have to think about. And so she she talked about that as as her attempt to help chip away at the statistics and the high mortality rate. So that's one part, and then and then. And that's where, like, you can't say that some of this stuff doesn't exist and acknowledge it in the same way. And so I, I go back to that the double speak comment of thinking about how I'm just inundated right now with seeing a lot of the same types of people who are uh, uh, who state i'm pro-life and i don't like uh, the uh, you know on one side of the abortion discussion and then using the phrase my body my choice when it relates to wearing masks or getting vaccinated <laughs> and and i'm just like you can't you can't like i i get frustrated I get frustrated Lee and so what can folks do let's maybe turn the conversation towards this aspect what can folks do who maybe, Maybe they were living in a bubble and maybe they were not aware of the deep roots of racism and racist constructs in our society from the beginning of America and prior to that. Maybe they weren't aware of it until George Floyd's senseless murder last year. Maybe that was when they finally took their blinders off. So to those folks who are now here and are wanting to get actively involved in their own communities to try and further this conversation, what would you say to them?
1: Shit, go to Facebook, <laughs> go to the event pack, go to the event slide, literally go to the event way, you feel what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and just type me in black or race or you feel me, march or protest, and I can guarantee you, and you go to your Facebook events, you're going to see something going down in your community, down the street from where you at, in terms of you being able to get involved in grassroots movements or activism going around in your community. 1000% sure that uh, black trans women, um, Latino people, Latino trans women, um, you feel me, indigenous people are being mistreated and or disproportionately receiving some type of, you know what I'm saying, Or, or the lack thereof in your community. The question is, do you know about it? And are you willing to get involved? You know what I mean? Now yes. social media and the internet has made it where the world so, has become so much smaller. So now you can't really make excuses. The way people can make excuses 10 to 15 years ago. Yep. You know what I'm saying? You can hop on Twitter, TikTok, or Instagram and literally go in and type in your area. All you got to do is type in your area. Type in your city or your state. And I guarantee you're going to find content creators that's literally in the trenches. Yep. Wherever you stay at that's literally putting blood, sweat, and tears and trying to embed a, and trying to progress, you know what I'm saying, Where, where like, you know what I mean, the, the, the community you live in. Yeah. And then you can go into any social media platform as well as Google Scholar and any search search engine that you like to go into and really learn for yourself about the different ways in which, you know, um, our country is steeped into oppression. Yeah. And too, I know that some people might be watching this having... The I mean, somebody might be hearing this, might be having the the inclination to be like, but but why do we have to stay in the past? It's like, hey, peep game, man, your ass just got done popping firecrackers and eating a whole bunch of barbecue for July Fourth, and you went further back into the past, seventeen seventy six, yes. The black folks and native folks is going to, to talk about the things and trials, tribulations, and literal, you know, what I'm saying uh, injustices that we experienced in the eighteen hundreds. Yep. So don't try to use your trick of time and talk about. Stay out of time, and you go further in time to talk about what you want to talk about. You feel what I'm saying? So we got to recognize, in order for you to think about how great America is, you have to think about all the history and the accomplishments that America has done in terms of its history for you to talk about how great America is. With that being said, it's a whole bunch of us black, brown, Indian, Asian people that's around here too that the way our legacy racially is tied into the great things America has done, a lot of those great things is really literally accomplish in spite of us and or on our backs yep. or and or our blood was used to fuel it but we didn't get the benefit from it in terms of the accomplishment you do know what i'm saying yes so just the next time you have the urge and saying hey man why don't we have to talk about the past or why do we have to talk about things that divide us must be nice and damn the privilege is good for you to be able to make those type of desperate dumps and dispositions in terms of dialogue, because some people have their mere livelihood and or their mere mental health, you feel me? They literally is hinged on them type of conversations in their dialogue.
0: Yep. Something that was brought to so I I saw this a couple years ago, I mean, it was brought back up. I was hearing somebody talk about it. Might have honestly even been you. I I, I forget. But talking about the 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 idea of generational trauma and. And trying to for some for folks who may not be aware of the idea of generational trauma, there's scientific evidence that backs up trauma being passed from ancestor to ancestor to ancestor all the way down. And so when we right. talk about why do we have to talk about the past, because for those of us who don't have privilege, we're still folks are still experiencing the ramifications of that particular trauma in today's world, and then when you put in laws and restrictions to limit folks' ability to yeah. help change the system, then we absolutely have to talk about that. So, um, but Watchmen on HBO did a really good job of explaining the generational trauma and linking back decades to the the present that it was it was in. That's a fantastic show. Uh, Regina King, I believe, is who stars in it. I uh, yeah, yes, Regina yeah. King. She's fantastic, but. But so,
1: I think so anyway. I think it's Regina King.
0: I, th- I almost said Regina Spector. And I was like, nope, that is a singer that is somebody totally different. Regina King is is the the, the <laughs> actor who stars in that, but she is fantastic. Um, oh, <laughs> um, as we're starting to wind down for uh and head into the next part of the show, I want to ask um, a final piece of advice for for folks who may be young parents and starting to have these conversations. So I'll put myself in, in the shoes of the parent here. So my, my daughter, my oldest started kindergarten last year and we had a conversation around Columbus day when Columbus day came around and we talked about how Columbus came and there was a whole bunch of people that already lived here. And instead of coming and discussing and living in harmony, he came and he colonized and he conquered. And my daughter couldn't understand why somebody would do that and come into someone else's home and take over. She couldn't conceptually understand why someone would do that. And so for us, we were trying to tread water that had never been, or or how do I, forge a path that had not been laid out for us. Because when we were kids, it was Columbus, yay, Columbus, yay. And now we're trying to have these conversations with the new generation of, of folks and start saying, hey, the way things happened in the past aren't great. um, And we need to not ignore it. We need to understand it so we can do better and we can start doing better. And that got into a whole conversation um, around the Trail of Tears. Um, We bought uh, Of the Icing by Barack Obama, and he's got different people that he honors in the book and Sitting Bull is one of them. And so my daughter was fascinated with the idea of Um, Again, why were people moved from their home? Why were they moved and relocated? And this is awful. How can we help these people like my six year old activist wanting to get involved? And so um, (laughs) and so I would I say all of that to tee it up and say, if folks have young children like that, and they themselves, we talked about how they can get involved, but as they're trying to help educate their kids, in perhaps a school system that may still be stuck in a different way of thinking. How can we start to give our kids those tools and equip them to rise up and be more educated and make a more inclusive world?
1: Man, be honest with you, me and my wife, figuring it out right now. <laughs> my uh, kindergarten, my, my daughter just started kindergarten this year. Yep. But uh, I know as an educator, just really being mindful of how we introduce stories, yes, and how we and, and, and how we allow for narratives to kind of take place. I think that when we talk about kids, I think that most kids, because they ain't developed no filter, they bullshit meter usually be real good, and they and, and I think they usually able to understand when something is unethical or immoral. You feel what I'm saying? Yes. Um, especially you feel me when I feel like when it when it's when it's when it's presented to them in a very I feel like raw transparent way, especially when it's just cut and dry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, for me, I think they're just thinking about you know like. Uh, different mediums and how and how kids are already getting this stuff. I think that um, the 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 movie, the Disney movie, which is I feel like we can critique it all day. I think we I feel like the reason why I would use it is for for it to be critiqued. But I just I feel like my daughter, my daughter know Pocahontas. She knows Pocahontas one, two, and three.
0: You yep. feel me? Yep.
1: So it's just like me, it's just like, hey John Smith is Christopher Columbus and Pocahontas name was already there. You feel what i'm saying mm-hmm. and being able to really think about you know what happened in the movie and we can really have a conversation because it has some historical things in it but i can also teach her I already some teacher about the the power of hollywood and how movies ain't real yep. like hey but bokehannes wasn't a grown-up she was a little girl and yep. you know what i'm saying we can already start to really build up those narratives and understand understanding and consciousness that's what i think you feel I me mean? you don't want to be yeah. i feel like i feel like we don't, we don't want our kids to be shit 1920 going to college and realizing some shit they've been taught their entire life they've been tested on their entire life was a lie. i think that a lot of us uh millennials and generation Xers, you feel me go to college and be like damn for real
0: i didn't know about the japanese internment camps until i went to college and i was born in Mm -hmm. 87 it was not taught to me in high school at all i did not realize Mm -hmm. it was a real thing and i went there and I was confused, and I, I, we were in class. Like I tell the story all the time, and as bad as I feel about about it, I think it's important to distinguish how the education system can fail us with some of these topics. But World War II, to me, was. USA versus the Nazis, USA wins. That was like the the framework of it. So when I get to college and my professor talks about the Japanese internment camps as an example of how fear can turn lethal and you can start grouping individuals and start throwing the us versus them mentality on, then I I I raised my hand and I was like, "What which fiction book is this from? Do I need to read this for class?" And he was like, "No, this is This is real life. Like, if you turn to page whatever in your textbook, there's pictures of it. And I was blown away. And I just consumed as much as I could because I didn't, I didn't want to believe that it was real, and I didn't know that it had occurred. But once I found out, then I educated myself on it. So yeah, to your point, uh, a lot of us millennials get to college and are, we're just like, well, damn, uh, didn't realize this uh, was what was real and what was not. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's important for us to educate our kids that way. And it's interesting that you bring up Pocahontas because we've done, my wife and I have done the same thing with uh, with my kids. Use it as an opportunity and a lesson to talk about this is what's real, yeah, this is what wasn't real, this is how things yeah, are. Man. We know Disney
1: was, you feel me, a little bigot. You know, <laughs> you know, we know. I feel like we know that uh, Disney was a uh, was was a very creative bigot that was able to monetize his bigotry and artistry in a way that was able to captivate kids and was able to, I feel like, push a lot of pathology. Yep. I think now, because the world set up that way, instead of making when my kids don't see it, it's like I'm going to use it as a teaching tool. You feel what I'm saying? Like yes. I, Most stuff I've learned, I've learned it through criticism. I've learned through critiques and through, and through grievances. And I feel like it's a great it's a great way to teach. And I think that that's, that's, that's just how we're going. That's just how I'm approaching it. You feel what I'm saying? I like it. like, I like. You got it. kids out there just trying to make sure you're giving them a part of the narrative and
0: giving them an account for certain things that wasn't accounting for when you got the narrative. Yep. No, a hundred percent. Uh, Well, this has been fantastic. We're going to move on to the next part of the show, which is called Things to Check Out. It's a segment where I provide recommendations of something I'm reading, watching, or listening to. And I ask my guests to do the same to help educate the listeners. So I will go first. So what I'm currently listening to, uh, it's a a good friend of the show, uh, the Reverend Sean Amos, just released a new album uh, called The Cause of It All, where he did, uh, he brought his signature blues style to several blues classics, such as Hoochie Coochie Man by Muddy Waters, Color and Kind by Helen Wolf, I'm Ready by Willie Dixon, among others, and he released a four-part podcast series also called The Cause of It All to break down the stories of these blues legends even further. For those who don't know the Reverend Sean Amos, his dad was Famous Amos. Willie Famous Amos was his dad, and so Sean is... The Reverend Sean Amos is fantastic. Um, And what I... Just re-watched, uh, For those who may not be aware, uh, the documentary Disclosure on Netflix, if you're wanting to educate yourself more on different perspectives and different um, lived experiences, Disclosure, the documentary about transgender representation in real life and in the media is a great documentary. Sam Fader, the director of Disclosure, has been on the show before. So those are my two uh, recommendations, something I'm listening to and something I'm watching. So, Lee, I will ask you, what are you uh Watching, reading, or listening to right now?
1: Man, uh, right now I am currently taking my time and taking too long reading a Ada B. Wells uh, biography. Uh, people that don't know Otta uh, B. Wells is um, uh, was a pioneer during the. I feel like I feel like yeah, I'm, 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 I'm gonna say pioneer. She's a pioneer, a journalist, an activist, a teacher uh, during the. I guess the late 1800s early 1900s when she wrote the anti-lynching anti campaigns and she used to run with uh different different people that we've learned about and i i bought i bought this actually book back in february man and i've having so much making content and doing different stuff and traveling and i just ain't had the time to really just get to it. how i need to get to it but yeah i Wells making it where people start to think about and, and learn about black history outside of February. Um, I'm thinking now too, man, I'm thinking, thinking, thinking now, for like, for now on, when people ask me about white privilege, I'm gonna jump straight to education and just get yeah. into history and then thinking about how white history is a part of the core curriculum and how you can go throughout high school with 4.0 and you have to know everything about what European Americans have accomplished and did not only in the world, but definitely in America but thinking about how you don't how you can be a how you can have a 4.0 and you feel me should be seen as a rock star student and how you don't have to really know much about black history or african american history or what indigenous people have done in this country and i yep. think that is the perfect illustration of white history who we learn about who we don't learn about and what ways in which we learn about them i think that we learn about white people in history and science and mathematics and all that stuff and we think about black people as being slaves and civil rights activists. And we think about Native Americans as being, you know what I'm saying, uh, people we can use for military and people that we conquer and or people that was colonized. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And we then, I keep on going with thinking about different racialized groups in our country and how particularly the history books and the curriculum and classrooms, how they are positioned and talked about and or the lack thereof.
0: Yeah. No. A hundred percent. That's so 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 key oh this is fantastic all right we are going to the final part of the show it is the dad joke of the week it's a segment where i hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guests in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans but i can't hear the audience i can only hear my guests so it works out for me so lee uh, i do like to put my guests on the spot lee do you have any jokes that you want to offer up today
1: Jokes that I can offer up. No, I ain't really. I I don't usually have jokes like you know, off the top, like that. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm much more of an improvisational joker joker type of guy.
0: Well, I'm pretty corny, so uh, I've got a few. So here we go. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right, so Lee, why do ants never get sick?
1: Why do ants never get sick because they always in the bed?
0: Oh, that's good. They've got antibodies, they've got anti. What is the longest Word The longest word expiali- Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious That's probably the correct answer um, The joke answer is smiles Because there's a mile between two S's <laughs> No. Ah, okay. Last okay. One. last
1: one. Okay, that's uh, a perspective though. That's a perspective though. We right. can debate that one though, because technically you have to win. I mean, you have to yeah. negate that
0: the, that the that the that the X is in between the miles. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh Last one. What brand of shoes do chickens wear? Uh, chickens wear uh Reeboks. That's right, Reebok box. I I get that one, you know? If people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Hey, uh, Georgeleespeaks.com. if you're interested in booking me for any type of workshops or facilitations. I have uh, two master degrees, one master degree in human relations, another master degree in uh, adult and higher education. I do a lot of facilitations and workshops centered around diversity, inclusion, anti-racism, and professional development. Um, If you're interested in checking me out on social media, um, be consciously, be consciously on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, YouTube, you name it. uh, Be consciously. You know what I'm saying? My motto is education is elevation research over me. Search. If you ever see my face on the screen, just know you about to get you a nice little upper division college course. And you ain't got to do no, no admissions. You ain't got to do no SAT, no ACT. Just, you
0: know what I'm saying? pull out your notepad and bring your notes and, you know what I'm saying? Get ready to get elevated. I can co-sign that. Uh, I absolutely love your content, whether it's Instagram, whether it's TikTok, whatever it is, it's fantastic. I love it. Um, I'm on TikTok as the Joe Shaw. I took your idea and uh, did that. No, I, I I am on TikTok. I have four videos. <laughs> I am the Joe hey, Shaw. Shout
1: out to, hey, shout out to the TikTok family, man. Right.
0: I like it. All right. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. Lee, thank you so much for coming on the show. I truly, truly appreciate it. And I hope people enjoyed it even half as much as I did. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. No problem. And listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at DetoxPodcast or visit DetoxPodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's v o k a l n o w.com.